Hey guys, I'm Camilla Alves McConaughey, and you're listening to Beyond the Plate with Kathy. With Matthew's work, like a lot of times I cook for him, different characters that he's doing, I have to cook a certain way, right? Or change things a certain way. And even sometimes different scenes that he's doing. Season 3 of Beyond the Plate is presented by Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down with the world's culinary lead to explore their journey with food and their passion for giving back. Every episode, we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's hospitality industry. This season, we welcome a group of celebrities that have a connection to the world of food. Whether they host a food show, have a cookbook, or simply give back through food, we're excited to have them join us on Beyond the Plate. Season three of Beyond the Plate is made possible with the help of our friends at Guinness. Guinness can be part of your celebration, whether you're in the pub or at home. Guinness has been brewing great beer for almost 260 years. And there's more than just the iconic Guinness Draft Stout. Now, you may have heard that Guinness Draft is too heavy to have with a meal. Well, that's not actually true because it's only 4.2% alcohol by volume and has just 126 calories in a 12-ounce pour, which is not very far off from a typical light beer. I did not know this. But while I enjoy a nice cold Guinness every now and then, I also like to use it in the kitchen, say to jazz up a homemade barbecue sauce for summer grilling season, which is around the corner, or just alongside the right dish. These awesome beers taste even better. But here's what I love about Guinness. I can't get enough of their Guinness Gives Back program. They recently worked with Jeff Morrow to raise money for food banks in both Chicago and New York. And around St. Patrick's Day, Guinness donated $1 for every Guinness mustache posted to social media with the hashtag stash for charity. The Guinness Gives Back Fund supports nonprofits that contribute to the common good in our communities. The Guinness Gives Back Fund is a corporate donor advised fund administered by Fairfield County's Community Foundation. The fund's mission is to support local charitable organizations, which are classified under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code that are aligned with the corporate focus areas of Diageo North America, Inc. To learn more about Guinness, visit their website, Guinness.com, or check them out on social media at GuinnessUS. Guinness, we thank you. Okay, back to it. For this episode, we sat with Camilla Alves McConaughey, wife of Matthew McConaughey, and an extremely successful, entrepreneurial, smart, caring, giving, all-around human. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Camilla, and while I intended to only take up a snippet of her time, I took up double of that snippet because we were having such great conversation. We talk about some really great things from family to what she cooks at home to charity work. The first meal she ever cooked for Matthew, the first meal he ever cooked for her. She cooks for him when he's filming, which is really interesting. She gets into that. We talk about her kids and rules at home for her kids. We talk about her Yummy Spoonfuls company, which I was super excited to learn more about. And again, about giving back through their Just Keep Living Foundation. But now for the more formal stuff. Camilla Alves McConaughey is a dedicated mother, fashion and lifestyle expert, and entrepreneur. She's born and raised in Brazil to a family of farmers. She grew up with a strong connection to the taste and aroma of food, made only using fresh-picked ingredients. 
She moved to the U.S. in her teens to pursue a career in fashion. And you may have seen her on the Today Show or Rachel Ray or The Talk and plenty of others. And in 2015, she launched a lifestyle website called Women of Today, which focuses on food, family, fashion, health, beauty, and crafts. This is where she was when we talked at the Women of Today offices in Austin, Texas. But Camilla had a vision to change the way kids eat, which was realized through a company she co-owns called Yummy Spoonfuls. They provide delicious and nutritious food using simple manufacturing methods. And more about the Just Keep Living Foundation. Started by her and Matthew, it's dedicated to empowering high school students by providing them with the tools to lead active lives and make healthy choices for a better future. Wait until you hear about the work that they do in these stories. It is truly inspiring. Anyway, I'm going to stop here, but please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate with Camilla Alves McConaughey. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Camilla. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for wanting to talk to me. Of course. (laughs) Well, are you in Austin now? Yes, I'm in Austin now. I'm in the Women of Today office, and it's a cloudy, rainy day here today. Explain to us what Women of Today is. So Women of Today is a community website that I started about five years ago, and it kind of happened very organically. Uh, to where, you know, we, with the job that we do and Matthew's job and my kids. So, you know, when Matthew goes to work, we all go, right? So we lived in so many different countries around the world and I'm from Brazil. And the one thing that, you know, I always missed when I come back to United States was the sense of community that like when you go into South America or you go to other countries, you know, like the conversation between women and people in general is just a bit more open and a bit more, you know, if somebody has a problem, then you tell your neighbor, then if your neighbor can't help, he's telling somebody else until you find a solution for your things. Right. And if you don't know how to do something, you know, maybe, you know, somebody say, well, my aunt is to do this way or, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just a larger conversation. And then every time I'll come back to the United States, it was very close to where, okay, you have your, your close group of friends, but outside of that, that conversation was kind of didn't happen. So I, you know, kind of started to build this where we kind of built a community where the idea was not to be, hey, I'm Camilla Alvin McConaughey and this is how I do things and you should do it like that too. It was more about what have you learned? Can you share with me? We'll test it out. We'll talk about it and we'll share it back with the community. So it's a very open conversation and dialogue with the people that are part of our, our community. And they share many things. We share back with people. They kind of dictate where the content that we put on the site. So they write us and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to learn about this. I'm trying to figure out about that. And we do a lot of that. That's very cool. When you're in Austin, are you, do you go into the office like uh, every day when you're there? I'm sitting in the office right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> are you like a breakfast taco fan? I feel like every time I go to Austin, it's like my first stop is like breakfast tacos. Or is that, are you, do you dig breakfast uh, no, tacos? No, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm not a big breakfast person. I do more cheese in the morning and then we get into, you know, I'm trying right now. I just started doing the, 
how you say it, the inter, intermediate. Yeah, the intermittent fasting. I'm so curious yeah, about that. Yeah, the name is. I'm not saying it right, but I've done it before. I've done it before a long time ago, and then I just started today um, to do it for the way, you know, you, you eat between noon and eight, and then after 8 p.m., you don't have, you don't eat anything until noon the next day. It's a, it's a, you know, another level you can go to where, okay, you don't have any carbs, any hard carbs after 3 p.m. So no big, you know, you can have dark greens and things like that, but not, you know, potatoes and stuff like that after 3 p.m. So I'm going to try, I'm going to do this for a little bit to, to reset. But one thing that we do here on Women of Today is that we create a lot of experiences for women. And a lot of those experiences at the end of the day ends up with food as well. You know, I could tie it all back in. Nice. Yeah. I like that. So your kitchen at home in your videos you do on Instagram, is that your home kitchen? Because that is like a dream to me. <laughs> it's like this beautiful, like ranch, woody, rustic looking kitchen. And I'm like, I can cook yeah. there all day. Let's just say that maybe and maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you help? Did you help design it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I love absolutely. it. That's kind of my style. I like open and being able to have everything like right there. It's like peaceful. Like when I when I like watch you cook in there, I was like, this just looks glorious. All right, let's go back. Let's start at the mm-hmm. beginning really quick. So you grew up in Brazil. What was your connection? Yep, born and raised. Yeah. So what was your connection um, or relationship to food as a child? Well, so... I grew up in Brazil and a half of my family is from a small town. And then a half of, you know, like my mom's side is from a small town. And then my dad's side is from a tiny, tiny town. And they're all farmers. So growing up, our relationship with food was very, very clear. My grandfather's farm and you're picking what you're eating, right? You, the animal, you know, they might, you know, get the pig that you're going to eat that night, you know, and that morning, you know? So the relationship, you know, when we're talking about farm to table food, like that's how I grew up to the literal sense of that's how we did it in the farm, you know? And every, like all the uncles and aunts, they all have different kinds of farms. So they all share with each other and, you know, stuff that's planted in the back and Hey, you know, and I remember at a very early age because we grew, I grew up in the big city, between the big city and the farm. But, you know, they will have, I remember the first time that, you know, my grandmother said, hey, go to the back and go get, I don't know, some parsley. And I was like, didn't know how to recognize what it was, right? And I remember that first memory of my grandmother going, well, that's how you recognize a parsley. That's how you recognize a cilantro, that's how you recognize it. But you know what I mean? Like, like teaching about the plants and that's how they grow. And Hey, you know, we used to just, we spent our afternoons sitting in the mango tree, eating mangoes out of the, out of the tree and throwing the leftovers down so the chickens will eat it. You know what I mean? And then the pigs will eat it. So it was, yeah. So that relationship has always been, you know, like very clear and very vivid in my life since I'm a little girl. And then in terms of in my household in the city, like my mom is an amazing chef and she's like beyond and so creative and the relationship that we had with food with her, like she, she's an amazing chef and she always tried to teach me, 
but she didn't have the patience to teach me. You know what I mean? You know, those people are like, try, they're trying to teach you, but they're, you know, halfway through it, they go, I just give it to me, I'll do it. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so I never really, really, really got into doing a lot of cooking. I, I was always in the kitchen with her. I was always helping and prepping and doing all of that, but I never really like, got to like really own my space in the kitchen until I was leaving on my own, you know? And, um, and I think that I, I, you know, her, Shelvin, we have this thing in Brazil, like we do mexidos. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but a mexido is like you, you, you know, certain days of the week, you just look in your refrigerator and you just grab everything that is about to go bad or any leftovers. Wait, what, that is brilliant. That, that's like a, a thing in Brazil, like people who cook all across Brazil? Yeah, Michido. That's yeah. brilliant. Michido. That should be yeah, like a worldwide like, movement. Right? You know? I think so too. Because, like there's you know, so much stuff that pe- people so, waste. Yeah, just, I, I have a big, everybody in my home knows I have a big thing with wasting food. I'm like, nothing, again, because of the farm, you know what I mean? Being in the farm, everything gets used or repurposed or, go, you know what I mean? So I, I, so like, so we do, so I, so I, I always have that in my mentality. So I think because I was raised that way and my mom cooked that way I and mean, she made like very fancy, you know, great dishes, but then it would be, you know, two days of the week where it was mishibus and it's still amazing. And you're like, how did you pull, you know, how did you pull that together? And so I have that, I have that in my veins. So, you know, we, we always have a joke because sometimes in the house, I don't go cause I do the groceries. And sometimes, like, if I'm really busy, I don't have time to go do the groceries full time and I don't want, you know, somebody else to go do it. So I will be like, they will be looking at me like, you know, my family will be like, we don't have, like, we can't make a meal out of this. And I will be like, just wait. And within 20 minutes, it's like this amazing meal. You know, so it's an ongoing joke in the family. I'm like, never say we don't, can't put a meal together. If you have, always put something together. You know, I do that game with my wife doesn't cook that much. Although when I go out of town, there seems to be a lot of pots and pans in the sink. So apparently she knows how to cook when I'm out of town, but not when I'm in town. But (laughs) anyway, when she, you know, she's like, where should we, I'll go to the grocery store. What should I get? We don't have anything at home. And I'm like, we have plenty, like we're fine. And she's like, we don't have anything like look in the refrigerator. And then I come out with a dish and she's like, where did all that come from? You know, so I (laughs) I, essentially I was taking a a tip from from Brazil and I love that. Did you work on the farm at all when you were when you were a child? Yes. So it's part of our, you know, if you so every vacation we went to this to the farmland and the little town and the farm and we spent time between those two. And, you know, if you were in the farm, then you have to, you know, you just you just become part of everybody else. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have your duties and you have things that you have to take care of it. And then, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be fair to say that, Hey, you know, I worked really hard on the farm, but that wouldn't be accurate to say, but I did work, you know, like it's part of, we'll go in and, you know, the grand, the grandmother would say, okay, in the morning, you know, you go feed this, you go do that, you go clean that, you know, that, that, that. So I always have it. And if we wanted any money, to go because this little town always had like a big like a uh, festival um in august and if we wanted any money to go to the festival or you know buy things at the festival or go to the concerts you had to work on the farm to earn that money so 
um, usually that was um, working at the coffee farms and picking coffee. And that wasn't that much fun, but that was the only thing that earned us money. I'm gathering <laughs> where your work ethic comes from, your, your upbringing in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The coffee farm wasn't, this, it wasn't much fun, but it's, it was worth it at the end. Yeah, so you moved to L.A. when you're 15 and you worked as a house cleaner, I believe, and a waitress. Do you remember where you waitressed in L.A.? Many places, many different places. Yeah, so when I first moved to the States, I didn't speak a word of English. It was like, hi, my name is Camilla. I'm sorry. You know, how much is this? I'm sorry, I don't speak English. That was it. So when I had to start working, you know, I just needed to do a job that was honest and that, um, you know, that it wasn't anything wrong and that I didn't need the language. So I went and started cleaning houses because we grew up, you know, in Brazil, you know, if you're middle class to upper, you know, and up, you have people that work in your house, just part of the culture. So we had, you know, somebody that worked in our house five days a week, but um, my dad always said, hey, you know, you always need to know how to take care of our our home because what happens if your staff doesn't show up? If you're a queen and a staff doesn't show up, what are you going to do, right? So we grew up like learning all those things. So I knew how to take care of our home and clean our home. So um, I went in clean houses. And then as I learned a little bit of English, then I started working in different restaurants. The first one was a Mexican restaurant because my English was still so bad. And the menu was all numbers. So I didn't need it to do much talking. It was just, you know, I was just number one, number three kind of thing. And then I went and worked like in a kind of an American vibe restaurant and then in a Italian restaurant. Amazing. So when you dine out now, do you ever not like judge the service, but are you like, I did that and you're like, kind of like watching what they do type thing? A little bit, a little bit. I do. It's kind of, you know, once you do it, it's kind of, you know, ingrained on you and you're like, okay. But I think that for me, it's more like when you go to a restaurant and you get bad service, for me, it's more like, well, it's the same thing of going, getting on a flight, right. And getting poor service. It's like, well, you're not really taking into consideration what the person is here. Like, you don't know what kind of day the person has have, you know, and if you're going to sit down in a place, then you're going to spend time and have a meal. Like, and you need to be good. Like, that's what you're there for, you know? Yeah, the experience, the hospitality, yeah. Fast forward, fast forward, you start dating Matthew, who seems like a, compared to me at least, pretty fit guy. <laughs> Did you all connect over food right away? Like, does he have a love of food? I mean, that's not, you know, that's one of the things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not all of them, but one of the things, of course. Sure. But, um, but yeah, you know, when we met, I was then, I was modeling and living in New York City. Okay. And at that point, I had, you know, I was living on my own and I kind of had kind of developed my, my love for food a bit more, but not fully until I had a family. Okay. But when Matthew and I met, I had like, Three dishes that were like, okay, you know, like if I'm going to do something fancy, that's what I would do. Cooking wise, which is like a Brazilian fish stew. Yeah, it's a Brazilian fish stew from the north. And it's like, you know, it's got shrimp and fish and coconut milk and spices. got a bunch of different things in it. That was the first dish that I made for him. So like very early on, like our first date was like in the kitchen, like, you know, the first time he was cooking for me and the second time I was cooking for him. What did he cook for you the first time? Steaks. Steaks? Steaks. 
He's he's the best at it. He's the best at it. I don't even touch steaks in my house. <laughs> well, you guys have good meat out there in Austin now. I know that. We do. We sure do. Was Austin a shock to you? Not really, because a lot of the mentality here and how people are raised and the morals and religion and all of that, it's a lot of Shalala's race. So, you know, even like the yes, sir, yes, ma'am, like I grew up saying that in Portuguese, sim senhor, sim senhora, like, you know, like it's kind of a, it wasn't, it wasn't a big of a shock. It really wasn't. But talking about good meat here, we get really good meat. Wagyu ribeyes from H-E-B, believe it or not. Yes, believe it or not. Like great, great meat. Interesting. Like, really good. When I go to Los Angeles to a grocery store, like a normal grocery store has like the best selection of lettuces. And I'm like, I'm just at a normal store and there's 20 options here. It's incredible. And I feel like it's like that with meat in Austin. Like you go into a normal grocery store, but there's just like beautiful quality of meat there. Yes. Yes. I have to agree on that one. (laughs) Does fitness play into your alls? I, I know it plays into the foundation and stuff like that, which we'll get into in a minute, but does fitness play into your relationship? I feel like, I don't know why, I'm saying this, but I feel like you guys are like active people. Like, do you do like hikes and stuff like that? We do. We do. I mean, we're not like, we're not work, like, what's the right word for it? Like, we're not big, like, you know, oh, gotta go to the gym and lift weights and do all of that. Like, we're not big at that. It's not our personality. But we're definitely active people. We're definitely adventurous people. Like, we have to break a sweat. We have to, you know, like, get that out and food plays a part of it. So like, you know, when Matthew was losing all the weight for Dallas Buyers Club, that was like the majority, it was no exercise with that. And I'm not telling people you shouldn't exercise. That's not what I'm saying. But food plays like a very, very large role on that. Right. Um, So for me, like in terms of like, Hey, you know, keeping food healthy and stuff, it's, it's very, very important. And what it's fun with is that with Matthew's work, like a lot of times I cook for him on set or I set up the meals and things like that. So different characters that he's doing, I have to cook a certain way, right? Or change things a certain way. And even sometimes different scenes that he's doing. Um, you know, like sometimes, you know, it has to be really spicy to help bring an emotion out. So, you know what I mean? So it's different things. It kind of, it's fun because it becomes a very fun journey to do it um and in terms of yeah yeah it's a fun you know it's a fun I like to the way I like to look at food it's 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 you know it's a life thing it's got an emotion to it whether people like to think of it or not but you know you eating what you eat is going to affect your body like period right so we really take that into consideration you know the the journey that I am that I have been on in the last few years with how much I learned from being part of uh, Yummy Spoonfuls and learning how the food industry and all of that is done, it's just, and I know we can sit here and say, okay, it's, you know, documentaries that show this and show that. And it is, but I'm also trying to find, okay, what is the solution? Because it is just really bad. It's just, it's, it's just horrible. You know what I mean? So I put certain rules in my home in terms of, Hey, you know, if we don't, I always teach my kids, if you cannot pronounce it, what's in the ingredient panel, it's not come, you know, we're not buying it. 
just not coming in the house. I was going to ask if your kids help you cook. And then I was going to ask if you have rules at home for food or at the dinner table. And then I was going to get into yummy spoonfuls, but you're kind of like hitting all this now. So let's segue. I love that rule about the ingredients, but do your kids cook? And then you mentioned yummy spoonfuls. So let's get into that. Yeah, no, my, I think it's so important. I cannot express enough how important it is to get kids involved in the kitchen early on. And when I'm talking about involved in the kitchen, I'm talking about real food, not just, you know, I don't know, sometimes in America it's mentality about, okay, you know, kids are just a baking, right? And, and we're going to do cookies and that stuff. And that's how kids get in the kitchen. I don't necessarily agree with that. And we're starting to see the change with all the kids cooking shows now, right? We're seeing that change and that shift because I think the earlier a child can understand and have a relationship with food, the better decisions they're going to do as they get older, right? And I'm not looking for perfection because it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like it's all about a balance, you know, does my kids have days that they have crappy stuff and bad food. Yes, they do. You know what I mean? It's not like pure, like a hundred percent pure. It's not that, but if you can teach kids to make the better decisions, even adults, just in general, if we can make good decisions 90% of the time, then the other 10% of the time, your body can process and work through it. Right. And I think that if you get kids involved early, they're going to understand and have yet easier time doing that. So I give my kids, like very early on in the kitchen, I use those, you know, the electric pans for them. It's like the first introduction on how to cook because they can't, I don't have to worry about, you know, flames and, you know, pots falling and things like that. So I create a little station and it's the electric pan and, you know, they just start eating. They, the first thing they usually start cooking is eggs because it's not, you know what I mean? So instead of doing eggs for a cookie or a cake, it's like, hey, let's do your breakfast. And so they start, you know, they're doing the eggs and then they are, well, it's going to go with it. Let's do some avocados. Let's do this. So slowly building up until they then can cook on the stovetop and do those things. And, and then smoothies is always a fun thing to do with the kids too. Um, but I always put vegetables and things in there that they would be like, oh, this is going to taste horrible. And then I show them that it doesn't. And then they go, oh, okay, so maybe I'll try this on its own. You know what I mean? So it's just about making it fun and playing with them and showing, okay, well, if you, you know, eat this with that, it's not going to taste good. But if you cook this way, it might taste better, right? So we kind of work through it. So like my my nine-year-old and my 10-year-old, they are very – they know their way around the kitchen. My 10 year old, you know, Sundays and different days of the week, he'll be in charge of the food. So like Sundays, I'm like, I'm staying in bed longer. You're in charge of breakfast and you're in charge of lunch, you know? And yeah, yeah. So it's very important to get them involved in the kitchen for sure. I love this. So talk to us about, cause I'm intrigued and I am 1 million percent going to buy all of these products once my kids are eating food, food and can grab it. Um, but tell us about yummy spoonfuls. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a long journey. Yummy spoonfuls, the mission is to provide the most pure and the most nutrition form of kids food available in the market. 
So when you really stop and start digging and understanding how baby food is made, how, you know, kids' food is made, it's just that it's not pretty. It's just not pretty. And the idea that, you know, hey, why why can we do something that it is the most nutritious, it doesn't have any of the bad stuff in it, you know what I mean? Have the least amount of stuff in it and be available, be accessible to people. So that was really, you know, the mission and the company, you know, first started with baby and now it's, you know, would do uh, older kids, toddler and older kids. Because, you know, if you really stop, like even with, you know, the baby food that you see in the market right now, most of them starts from already over-processed purees. So you think you're like doing something good because you're like, okay, I'm feeding my kid, you know, I'm going to pay a premium price and feed them organic. But if you're feeding over-processed organic, then what nutrition are you really getting out of it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the idea is just to do fresh. It's just to be fresh. So how do you keep things fresh without having to add all kinds of crazy things into it? Um, you freeze it. So it's frozen. It's a frozen mine. And by freezing it, we lock it in all the, the, you know, the flavors and the nutrients, all the good stuff in it. We don't have to add anything crazy to it. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like people have this like conception or misconception about frozen food. So growing up here in the States, you know, I grew up in the eighties, let's call it. There was you know, frozen food was kind of like looked at as like crap food, you know, like over-processed. But in reality, these days, a lot of frozen food is actually better than some canned food, let's say, because it's, you know, picked at the peak of freshness and flash frozen. And I I take it you all use like a a great process. So how would you get people comfortable with that, you know, frozen food conception? It's a challenge. It's definitely, you know, changing people's perception. And that's not an easy thing to do. But I do think that you said it. Look, I didn't, I didn't even have to say anything. That's exactly it. Like if you are grabbing, you know, food that is, if you're reading a frozen food that has a clean ingredient panel, the stuff is being, you know, like frozen like vegetables and fruit, it's way fresher than the stuff you buy in the store. Unless if you buy it from a farmer's market, that, you know, you're getting stuff from the farmers locally, that's different. But if it's stuff that's coming from, you know, other countries and traveling and all of that, it's good. It's still good to eat fresh, but frozen, it's, it's exactly what you say. You know, it's get, get out of the tree at its peak and it gets frozen. So it's like it's all the good stuff is locked in into that, you know, into those fruits and vegetables. And it is, it, it's a little bit of a new concept, but people are more and more learning and understanding that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super excited for it. So what about, I mean, you seem to be making great headway and having great success with it, but are there any challenges or struggles with it? Oh yeah, it's a lot. I mean, we can do a whole a whole day on the podcast of just the struggles <laughs> of it. <laughs> but, you know, but one, one thing that is really great is that, you know, we were able, a big part of our, of the mission of, 
you know, is to be able to make it accessible. And it is accessible at Walmart. That was very important. So, you know, most parents can find it and get it. It was really, really challenging to, to be able to make our food because most of the places that, that make baby food or kids' food are not making food that is alive. So we had, I mean, you know, Agatha is the founder of the company and we'll be in calls with people and they'll be like, well, you know, you can't do that because you need to add corn syrup. And you'd be like, why? Why do you have to add corn syrup? Well, because it's got to go through a pipe, you know, to gravity to go up to this pipe to make it to this other machine. And you're like, you can't change your setup because you so you know what I mean? It's just how the mentality is out there. And I'm a pretty straightforward kind of gal. And, and, and I would literally just click off the phone. I just couldn't, I couldn't even deal with it. I was like, this is just ridiculous. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. Like people, just the mentality is just wrong. And the thing that I became more fascinated with is the amount of chemicals and preservatives that are in the food that we don't even know is there, right? So that's the part that I'm actually more and more interested in and understanding, okay, what is the effects of that in the body? You know, because it's one thing, your body can take this stuff, right? But after a certain amount of it, it can't anymore. It can't process anymore. So the thing that people sometimes get a misperception is about, oh, you know, you don't have to be pure. No, not necessarily. Oh, you know, you can be bad. Well, you can, but if, if you're not realizing, if you think you're doing good, but you're not, the companies are tricking you. That's the part that pisses me off, right? So I think it's just really important for people to more and more realize and understand that, hey, if you're having those bad things multiple times a day, every day, with multiple things that you put in your body, eventually it's going to catch up with you. So the more people can learn and understand, then you can make educated decisions and then have a healthier life. This is all amazing. I love it. Okay, so social impact and giving back. I've been familiar with JKL Foundation, Just Keep Living Foundation that you and Matthew started. Can you share with everybody listening a little bit about the foundation, what you all do? Sure. So Just Keep Living Foundation, uh, we've been doing for over 10 years now. It's after school programs in Title I schools. If you don't know what Title I schools are, they are schools that are you know, most of the families are really, really low budget family, you know, uh, household incomes. Um, uh, the budgets are cut down on those schools. You know, it's a really high percentage of dropout in those schools. Most households are single parents households. It's a lot of drug and gangs and all those things. And just, it's just a difficult environment for kids to be in it, right? They don't have a lot of resources on Title I schools. So we're, we do after-school programs inside the school. We uh, usually hire a teacher that is already in the schools. So they're invested, they know the kids. And we provide, uh, first and foremost, a safe place for the kids to go after school. We teach them nutrition and the budget, exercise. We do a gratitude circle every day of the program, which, you know, a lot of people sometimes don't understand what that means to do a gratitude circle. And what it is, is it's something that Matthew grew up doing it and we do it on our, on our family every time we sit down for a meal. 
we sit down and just take a few minutes to say something we're grateful for. And when you're talking with teenagers and to get them to sit down and verbalize something that they're grateful for, it's a really hard thing to do, right? So they're not, they don't really, they're not in that stage where they want to share a lot, right? So this whole gratitude circle started as like, all the kids would just say, you know, I'm thinking for just keep believing program. I'm thinking for JKL, like just, you know, saying that. And we went one day in the program and Matthew got really silly and he goes, listen, you can say anything. Like this is not, a, you know, it's a place where it's com- you can say anything you have in your mind. He goes, I'm happy because Halloween's coming. I'm getting some candy and I got a really good kiss for my life this morning, <laughs> you know, and the kids like start laughing and kind of understood that that was a place they could say anything. And now the gratitude circle became a place where it turned our program into a community because these kids now sit around, they get to stop and think that things that they're grateful for in their lives. They also get to learn like what other kids in the program are going through. So they get into, it really created a community of them realizing, you know, okay, I thought I had bed. I don't have that bed. How can I help this kid? And I really made a community out of the program. We have guest speakers that come in and we have guest speakers from all walks of life. So we have, you know, people that went to jail, did something wrong, went to jail, got out and is doing something right now, all the way into construction workers, to hairstylists, to marketing, to agents, to actresses, to singers, to CEOs, like fashion designers. We have people from all walks of life come in and talk to those kids, Uh, the programs, because we never know what's going to spark, right? And we can learn from everybody. Then we also do field trips. And again, thinking about what those kids have access to, a lot of those kids have never left their neighborhood. You know, I have this sweet story I like to tell, and this is just one of many, many stories, but we did a field trip in one of our programs here in Austin. And the program now is nation, like pretty much we have a lot of different places in the nation. It's not just in Texas or LA. So we're in over 33 schools. So we have one program here in Austin that did a field trip and you know Austin you've been here you see the lake and going through the city you know what I mean like you drive around you see water right and this kid you know they were going on this hike and this 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 boy he just froze at one point and he just wouldn't move and the coach came back down I was okay okay you know and the kid was just didn't say anything and Coach finally got him to move and they kept walking. And then the kid graduated. And when he graduated, he came back and he said to the coach, he said, listen, you know, that day and that hike, he goes, in all my life, like in all my years of living here, I had never seen a body of water like that before, ever. So that your trip made me realize that it's more to the world than just those four walls that I'm in, in my neighborhood. And he graduated and he became part of the Navy to be able to go and serve and also see the world at the same time, you know? Um, So that's just one story of many of how the program has impact, you know, the program has just impacting so many kids. And we love to say that we, you know, we love to have science, behind what we're doing and we do have those numbers i'm not going to butch them out to you right now but anybody can go on the website just keep living foundation.org and check it out like you know we have the science behind of what we're doing is working you know the number again on a really um 
high dropout rate schools, the kids that come to our program, um, I mean, 90-something they're graduating. We have a girl that's graduating now. She's going to Harvard University. Like, that was never, you know what I mean? Like, and she speaks about the impact of the program on getting her getting there, you know? So it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I can, again, I could talk for hours on that, but it's something we're very passionate about it. And we started with one mission and, and it's doing much more than what we ever dreamed that would do and impact the kids. We also, we also take special need kids in the program and it's something really cool because what ended up happening Again, we didn't plan for that. It was just, you know, what the kids needed. And ended up, like, being in the program, we will have the outcasts in the program, right, because they don't really fit in and they're trying to find a place to, you know, to, to go. And, and it started with them. And then the kids that were, like, were really trouble, like, you know, like being part of gangs and stuff like that. I mean, those kids will come to the program and they will get on the treadmills with their backpack on. And... You're like, why are they doing that? Like, and it's because they're so not in a safe environment. They never had a place where they felt comfortable that they could put their stuff down. That like, that's the, you know what I mean? That's what they're dealing with. Like, so like they're, we're working on them getting comfortable with that, but we had those kind of kids, but because we're doing exercise and fitness and nutrition and food and all of that, um, the athletes, when they, the school got cut and didn't offer, you know, I mean, the extra practice for them, they started coming to the program to get the fitness portion of it. So then all of a sudden, you have a place where, again, the graduate circle and the time they're spending together in the community that's built in there is the mix of, like, you know, the studs and the most popular kids in school and the most outcasted kids in the school and, you know, kids with special needs, and all of a sudden, it started dealing with the bullying situation where this kid, though, in the program were getting bullied, you know, like bullied by, you know, the, whatever the other kids in the school, and the studs there in the program were getting out there, handling the situation, protecting them, and now those kids are not bullied anymore. And the parents, like, because we're teaching them nutrition on the budget and recipes and, hey, you, you can cook this for this much money at home, and have them sit down and have a meal with your family instead of paying, you know, the happy meal over there. Now we get, we get all these letters from the parents of how much their life and relationship have changed at home because now they cook together and sit down and have a meal together and actually have a conversation. And we see that all the time. It's like the kids that are going home and teaching the parents about food and nutrition, like you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. That's the lot of what we're doing. Do you remember the first time or moment that inspired you to give back? Oh, man. So for me, it was really early on. Growing up in Brazil, you're just you're surrounded by property all the time. It's kind of even if you, you know, you can live in a rich neighborhood, but you have to drive by the property. You know what I mean? Like, you just, you don't have a way of escaping it. Um, and... It was something that my mom, my mom has always been really big at that. So she like, I think the first thing I was, I don't, I don't remember exactly what age, but my first memory was like being really young, like me going, well, you know, I don't have money to give. I wanted to give help the elders as a shelter. 
And I was like, I have money to give well, but you know people. So what can you do? You know, and, and she would challenge me on that. And I remember gathering my friends and we would do like a collective thing where we'd go to every apartment built, you know, every, we lived in a large apartment building. We'd go to every apartment, knock everybody's door. And we did this whole thing where we collected socks and food and, you know, winter clothes and all that stuff and packed up and took to this, um, shelter for elders and I remember just being there spending time with them and it's like it's, I don't know I was like probably 18 years old maybe and that's like my first like very clear understanding of like okay it doesn't have to be money it can be time it could be resources it could be you know it's so many ways you can help because after we did that I remember being at the shelter with my friends and the joy that the elders had just by being around kids. Like, I just remember that very vivid. And that's like the first time that I went, oh, okay, it doesn't have to, you know, some, sometimes we get cut off on, oh, I can only do it this way, right? Or it's just money. But it's not. It's so many ways that, that you can help. Thank you for saying that because it's so true. I just think that, no, it's just that, like, you know, I just feel like we're in a time right now that people are getting so cut up on certain things that don't necessarily need to be cut up on and forgetting about so many of the fundamental things, you know? So like, you know, we, we do an event here in Austin every year. It's called MJNM. It's an amazing event. It's a three day event. And, you know, we raise over $4 million on three days and like for helping kids, it's going to go to Jacob. It's going to go to children's hospital. It's going to go to heart transplants. It's going to go to a cure of the sheen. It's going to go to the riot school who is, special need kids school. And it's like, you know, when you stop and think about it, something like that, it takes people helping in so many different levels in so many different ways to be able to achieve that goal and to make the difference in people's lives. You know what I mean? So I just, it's, again, I just feel like people should just sometimes focus a little bit on what can you do instead of what I cannot do in a way it's not going to make a difference anyway, but it does make a difference. That's a great point. And you said that, I just want to repeat that, focus on what you can do, not what you cannot do. So important. Okay, quick speed round, just five quick questions. First thing that comes to your head. Number one is, what did you have for dinner last night? I had a tuna fish salad that we made with leftover stuff in the refrigerator. Yeah, full circle here. <laughs> full, uh, sliced off on top of sliced off bell peppers for a little nice presentation and crunch. There you go. <laughs> Name a smell in the kitchen you love. Garlic, garlic and garlic uh, cooking on olive oil. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Salmon. I can't stand it. I'm known to do an amazing salmon that I have never tasted. That's so funny. I can't stand the taste or smell of salmon. That's, that's <laughs> not my favorite either. That's so funny. What makes you happy in the kitchen? Creation. Creation. Being able to disconnect from anything else and be able to be present with something that's going to nourish you and bring pleasure. Yeah. Do you have a restaurant that I must try next time I'm in Austin? <laughs> yes. So my go-to favorite sushi place, it's called Uchi. Yeah, so good. U-C-H-I. You've been there? I've been to Uchi, but I have not been to Uchi Ko. Okay, Uchi Ko is great too. It's the same owner, you know. But yeah. 
Uchi is still my favorite. I should Uchi go back. Uchi is still my favorite. I don't know why, but, but Uchiko is amazing too. So I must say, like, for me, that's like, you know, we don't go out to eat a lot. We really don't. We rarely go out to eat. But when we do, that's my favorite request. Because, again, we don't go much. So when we go, I'm like, that's where I want to go. <laughs> Ah, it's making me like make my mouth water right now. I was just when you told me you were doing intermittent fasting, I was like, uh oh, there's a chance we get hungry during this episode. <laughs> no, it's Uchi, man. Uchi. Every time I think of Uchi, I'm like, oh, I just want to go eat this. <laughs> and you know what? It's a great, we have a great food truck here too. It's a Brazilian food truck called Boteco, B O T E C O. That's really good Brazilian food too. Ooh, I'm hitting that up next time for sure. Brazil to LA to New York, Austin. Model, designer, waitress, businesswoman, philanthropist, and I'm probably leaving off cities and leaving off job titles, but all of that in your only in your 30s. So looking back, what has been the biggest surprise about your life? The biggest surprise about my life, and I only became I only became for this realization. I only came to this realization not long ago, to be fair. But I always thought. I always said that when I was younger, like I wanted to, ha- I want to have a successful business. I wanted to have a successful business and I'm done. You know what I mean? And I want to have kids young. Like I always said that, I always said that. And with being able to get out there in the world and learn more about cultures and people and people's needs and businesses and all of that, what I have realized is that I'm not seeking a successful business. I'm seeking to make a difference. You know, what stores in my future of how I'm going to keep doing that and how I can do that in a bigger way, I'm not sure yet. But um, it took me 36 years to, 36 and a half years to understand that that's actually what I seek is to actually make things a little bit better. So that's a big, it was the moment I had that, I was like, oh, I didn't, it took me this long to realize that it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was a surprise, but it was a completely change on the shift of everything that I look at it. What's one thing you wish people knew about Camilla Alves McConaughey? Oh, shoot. It's so many, it's so many things. Cause I'm kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a med scientist and I'm not sure that people know that. So I'm a bit of a med scientist in terms of, you know, I got, a thousand things going on at the same time. The people that work with me, they always have a job. They're like, I don't know how you do it, but you kind of like multiply time because I'm always like, it, it's time. Everybody starts freaking out. We're not going to do this. I'm like, it's time. It's, it's going to work. It's going to be okay. And it does, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, I have a relationship with time that's very different than most people do. Well, I don't know, like a hobby. I, I'm, I'm a, Florist at heart. Um, I take a tremendous amount of joy of going and buying flowers and make flower flower arrangements for parties and houses and with a glass of wine, I guess, you know. Um, And I think the last thing is I'm I'm a little bit of a revolutionary at heart. So a lot of things that I, a lot of, even on businesses, a lot of businesses that I wanted to do in the past and things that I never got around to do it, but I write them down or I tell my husband and then like a few years later, sure enough, it's like, you know, the hottest thing in the market or the biggest company and stuff like that. So we have a lot of that that happens. We have a little tally going on on the side. Yeah. 
That's so funny. There's a podcast that I listened to, which was like, I always wanted to do like have conversations like this, like we're doing, but you know, it took me some time to kind of get off my butt and do it. But there's a podcast, there's a woman named Joe Martin and she has a podcast called Why Not Now? And she interviews people about successful people, but about things that they have wanted to done, but still have not done. Um, and like, why not now? So that what you were just explaining reminded me about that. Yeah, I might need to, I might need to go listen to that more often. Yeah, there's some good <laughs> ones. There's some good episodes for sure. Thank you, Camilla, so much. When I was putting everything down on paper that I wanted to discuss with you, I got so excited and called my producer this morning who has his own full-time job. He helps me on the side. And I was like, I'm really excited to have this conversation. And and it kind of like exceeded all my expectations. You're so well-spoken and the work you and Matthew are doing in schools, you know, from California to Texas and beyond, you know, you gave a story or two or three about people that you've made a difference for through things like a gratitude circle or a nutrition program. And I'm sure there's a hundred students or more that you guys have affected. So with that, with Yummy Spoonfuls, with all of your... 15 other jobs and hobbies that you uh, change people's lives. Thank you for that. And I'm sure we could spend days talking about some of this stuff, but truthfully, thanks for, thanks for sharing everything you shared. No, thank you. Thank you for, have, for having me be a part of your podcast about, you know, part of what you're doing. It's, it's an honor and uh, I love all of it. And it, thank you for taking the time. I truly enjoyed the conversation. A quote about her first clear understanding of giving. She says, It doesn't have to be money. It could be time. It can be resources. There are so many ways you can help. And then she goes on to say, I feel like people should sometimes focus on what can you do instead of what you cannot do. Thanks again to Camilla Alves McConaughey. Find more on her at womanoftoday.com or on social media at I am Camilla Alves. Join us next week when Beyond the Plate presents Just a Plate short segment where our guests describe a dish or a recipe that is meaningful to them. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at OnCathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast and Facebook. Season three of Beyond the Plate is made possible with the help of our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's Rolls are the number one branded hamburger buns in America. And as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. And here's what I love about Martin's. Their mission encompasses more than just baking great bread and buns and rolls. They believe in giving back to their community and beyond. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To learn more about Martin's, visit their website at potatorolls.com or follow them on social media at Potato Rolls. Martins, we thank you. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joe Eaton, and Sean Petrosian. Thank you to Andrew Glatt. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.